I've always joked that uh, we started on Pentecost Sunday because it went well historically. So we thought we'd continue that trend. And uh, you'll be pleased to know I'm not going to be speaking for two long this morning because we also have some baptisms, uh, which is really exciting for us. But I just want to share just a few reflections this morning uh, for a community as we gather after five years. On June 23rd, which is actually our last Sunday uh, in the Germania Club before we move to Ryerson Church, I'm going to be sharing a message which is really taking us a longer look back on where God's led us and where we're going to be going in the future. But I'm just going to share a few small reflections around Acts chapter 2 and the scripture from Pentecost and St. Clair. In the fall of 2012, a small group of people, maybe around 15 to 20, I say 15 to 20, in Acts chapter 1, Luke says there were around 120 people in the upper room. So I feel like I've got license to say that. Maybe around 15 to 20 people gathered in a really small office on James Street North to pray for the city. We didn't realize at the time that that was the start of St. Clair Community Church. We just wanted to pray for our city and figure out what does it mean to be the church in the neighborhoods in which we reside. On Pentecost Sunday, 2014, this prayer meeting had become this. And somehow we became a church accidentally. On Pentecost Sunday, 2014, we had our first ever Sunday gathering. And today on June 9th, 2019, we celebrate five years of meeting like this. And to be honest, I'm quite surprised at what God has done in and through us. I've not told everyone this, but someone said to me, did you expect St. Clair to work out like this in terms of what God has done? My joke was, I always wanted to phone my mom after one year and say, it's still going. That was my greatest dream for St. Clair. And yet God has outdone all our expectations for this community. When God started St. Clair, we wanted to be a church that was passionate for Jesus. And because of that, we'd be passionate about discipleship. See, Jesus didn't ask his community of followers to just gather in a nice social group. He asked them to be committed apprentices of his way. See, the city of Hamilton didn't need another community to do church on a Sunday. It didn't need another community to gather socially in a German banquet hall. It didn't even need another community of nice church people. But I wonder if the city of Hamilton did need and continues to need a small community of people who are radically committed to the way of Jesus. And we continue to do that. We long to be a community who has that. We're a church about discipleship that was learning to be a family and a church that wanted to be committed to our neighborhoods and live life to the full in the neighborhoods that we found ourselves. But when we talk about discipleship, we didn't just want the way of Jesus to be an intellectual exercise. We wanted to people to actually take seriously Jesus's call and practice his way. You see, having belief in Jesus, I don't think is actually enough. See, we can believe in caring for the poor. We can believe in forgiving others. We can believe in prayer. We can believe in hospitality. We can believe in justice and still not actually do them. And this isn't a day to guilt anyone because I fully believe as Jesus transforms us, we actually start to live that way.
But all of those things, prayer, hospitality, justice, caring for another, we actually have to see those tangibly lived out. For too long, the church around the world, particularly in the West, is known for what we believe, but then not actually seeing it displayed in how we live a life of love towards others. Following Jesus has never been a belief system. It has always been a way of life. We're celebrating Pentecost Sunday this morning, and that's found in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. And what we find is Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, in chapter 1 says, Jesus has been resurrected, and he goes around for 40 days, giving proofs that he is alive and teaching about the kingdom of God. See, Jesus has this manifesto to draw people to himself and encourage them to live life in the kingdom. And then Jesus gives his disciples these instructions. Wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. See, Jesus says, I'm going away, which if I was one of the disciples would sound terrifying. It feels like you're just back from the dead. This is the plan. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to go. And interestingly, Johnny says, and it's actually better I go because the Holy Spirit is coming. But it's interesting he says to wait. I think Jesus is saying, you cannot live life in the kingdom without the Holy Spirit. It's not possible. I love the idea that Jesus says to wait. As a community, we have become what we call a contemplative, charismatic community. We always want to create space for silence and solitude to slow down our rhythms of life and to wait. And we also long for the presence of God to come in such a way it would empower us with his gifts and send us out. See, the contemplative and the charismatic, both, ironically, are closer than we think because they both long for the presence of God. And so Jesus says, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then we arrive in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit falls. It says this, when the day of Pentecost came, so Pentecost was always a day that existed, this was, Pentecost means 50, 50 days, and it was 50 days of a festival that the Jews would celebrate. It was a harvest day, the day of first fruits called Shavuot, which would actually celebrate 50 days since the Passover festival and God rescuing his people from Egypt. And on the day of Pentecost, it says they were all together in one place. The way of Jesus was never meant to be done individually. At St. Clair, we talk about it all the time, much to people's maybe annoyance, but we talk about this language of family. And here, Jesus says, you need to wait together because you truly need to be a family that shows the world what I'm like. There's a rule of life that we've adopted, uh, or stole, I've stolen, maybe I'll say that, from the order of the Mississippi Abbey, which is a convent of nuns who live in community, so I knew it was going to be good. So when I read it, it was something that actually jarred me, because I feel as I read these words, this is a rule of life they adhere to as a community. And as I read it, I felt like that is the longing I have for St. Clair. But here's the challenge. It, I almost don't ask us to say it every week because it feels too much. In a culture that says, you're the individual, you do what's right for you, you look out for your own self-interest, to be committed to a group of people is deeply challenging to the way our culture lives. But this is what it says. And I keep coming back to this. 
We vow to remain all of our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation to move from one place to another in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself, and the idea that things would be better someplace else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practice of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences. I'm going to say that again because that's just speaking to me now. Giving up one's own preferences and forgiving. And that's what we see in the early church. They were deeply committed to one another. They said, we will live this out because that's a reflection of what Jesus has actually done for us. It's hard to leave when we know Jesus is holding us in and saying, where else would you go? They're all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's interesting to me that the Holy Spirit fell on all of them. There's no uh, first and second class system in the kingdom. If we're open and available, then the Holy Spirit can come and impact our lives. All Jesus is looking for who are people who are open to have the Holy Spirit come and fill them. What's super interesting to me is if you go back a few chapters to the Gospel of John, in chapter 20, after Jesus has been resurrected and the disciples aren't quite sure because they've heard rumors of this, but Thomas is doubting whether this is true. It says Jesus appeared amongst them, but the opening line says they were hiding in fear because of the Jewish leaders. A few chapters later, the Holy Spirit comes to this fearful, nervous, doubtful group of people who take this message to the ends of the earth, to the point where all bar one of the disciples are martyred for their faith. What is it about the Holy Spirit that when he comes and fills us, transforms us from being fearful, doubtful people to be people of faith with the message of Jesus? It says the Holy Spirit comes like a tongues of fire that rested on them. We read that and that sounds great. And oh, isn't that nice imagery? But this is really profound for the Jewish people. See, fire represents the presence of God. And what's interesting is in creation, in Genesis, we have the presence of God and the shalom in the garden. Humankind steps into the story and becomes independent to say they can do things by themselves. And so the presence seems to be banished from the garden. And then God sets up a people through Abraham called Israel. And he says, the presence of God will rest in your community. So build the Ark of the Covenant to hold the presence of God. And then the presence is later stored in the temple. And there's a flame in the temple that continues to burn that doesn't go out, that represents the presence of God. Later on, this man called Jesus shows up into the story. And Jesus houses the presence of God. But on the day of Pentecost, God changes his address. And on the day of Pentecost, it says tongues of fire 
come to rest on the people. Here's what's going on. Paul will later say in 1 Corinthians, you are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God throughout the scripture now lives in his people. I've been struck all this month. When we say, come Holy Spirit, that is dangerous. I hope we know that. When we say, come Holy Spirit, we're saying, Holy Spirit, fill me to be a temple that goes into the world with the power and the presence of God. I love Acts 2. I noticed this the other day. I was talking to my friend Aaron about this. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And filled the house. Later on, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, verse 5, God fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. What was this sound? We're like, Oh, the presence of God. It's like a nice breeze in England while we're walking along the hills with sheep in the background, a violent wind showed up, shook the place to the point where a crowd gathered because they heard it. If you've ever been in one of those situations where you hear something dramatic, a couple of years ago I was on my street on Melrose and a wind came through and actually uprooted a tree on our street. And I turned around because I heard this, it sounds terrible, as the roots came up and literally a tree was leaning on a house. It seems like this is more dramatic than that. So I wonder this morning if you can hear that sound too, because the sound is the sound of hope. The sound of the Holy Spirit coming. And the beauty of the scripture is this isn't a one-time deal. The sound that we hear rushing through the doors of the Germania Club is afresh the Holy Spirit saying, all I'm doing is looking for a people who are surrendered to me. Today, St. Clair Community Church, would you allow the sound of hope to ruminate in our hearts and our lives? It goes on to say that when the Holy Spirit comes and fills them, they actually go out and declare the wonders of God. Verse 12. Sorry, verse 11. And the wonders of God they declared in their own tongue. Most scholars reckon that Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, is almost this reversal of Genesis 11. So Genesis 11 is the Tower of Babel. And what's interesting in Genesis 11 is it says that the, uh, the people who are on the earth build this tower so they can make a tower to heaven as high as they could so they could make a name for themselves. I mean, that sounds nothing like the world in which we live, right? No culture in the Western world is trying to make a name for themselves, but that's what's happening. And then what's interesting is in Acts chapter 2, their response isn't to make a name for themselves, it's to declare the wonders of God. See, St. Clair Community Church does not exist, so we would be great. We have no interest in saying, how is St. Clair the best church in the city? We gather like this and throughout the week in community so we can declare that Jesus is amazing. That's the reason we gather. That's the reason we will always gather. And that is why the people of God gathered together in Acts chapter 2. I was reflecting back over the last uh, 
couple of weeks on our five-year anniversary. And five years ago, I stood here and preached our first sermon from Acts chapter 2. And I'll be honest with you, I had no idea what the future would hold for us. But in the five years since we had our first Sunday gathering, it's really exciting to me. We've seen people come to Jesus. Even this last week, someone through our church plant committed their lives to Jesus this week, which is super exciting to us. We've seen lives change. We've given away money to people who most needed it. We've created space around the table. We've grieved the loss of people dear to us that we care about. We've cared for those on the margins. We've sent missionaries around the world, and they just happened to be here this morning. Shout out to the Greens. We're sending other missionaries as well in the future. We happen to plant another church in the Gage Park neighborhood, and we're deeply thankful for Will and Leanne McLaughlin, who are again forming this beautiful community as a family who live on mission together. Please check out our church plant. We've walked through mess and pain with people. We've seen people grow in their walk with Jesus. We've been involved in significant things in our city and our neighborhood. And in a couple of weeks, we're actually moving out of this space because we've outgrown it into Ryerson Church. A lot has happened. At the end of uh, St. Francis of Assisi's life, uh, where he transformed so much of the community around him. Um, he started this order of the monks, the Franciscans. Uh, he'd seen society change. On his deathbed, the people closest to him gathered around, and he said these words, now let us begin. I wonder for today, if for St. Clair, if it's actually just the beginning of something else for our community. We love what God has done, but there's so much more ahead of us.